Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everyone. This week, we're taking a break from our regular episodes for the Thanksgiving holiday, but we just wanted to check in and see how everyone was doing. We were lucky enough this year to be invited to my cousin's house for the big feast, and they are catering everything. Thank God. That means no cooking, barely any cleaning for us guests, but we should probably still bring something. Maybe I'll just get a crack pie for a milk bar then, but let's chat a little bit about the news. It's been a pretty big couple of weeks for infertility. Yeah, so um, we are going to talk a little bit about some fertility news uh, and then do a little bit of reader mail. So... The first big piece of news this week has been from Michelle Obama, whose memoir is coming out. And she revealed in the memoir that Sasha and Malia Obama, our former first family, were made via IVF. One of us. (laughs) One of us. One of us. Which, if you have been through IVF, feels like a, I don't know, feels like a really big deal to me. Uh, When I heard the excerpt from her memoir, which you can listen to on NPR, we will put a link into the show notes. uh, I was like, wow, this is so familiar. Like, they went through all the same stuff that Anna and I went through. And it's just, it doesn't matter that they're brilliant and famous. And one of them was the president of the United States. Like, IVF is IVF, and it's just the same process for everyone. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Infertility does not discriminate, except when it totally fucking does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part of a bunch of infertility support groups online, and everyone was completely plotting about the news. Like, obviously, they weren't celebrating the fact that um, Michelle and Brock had had a miscarriage and had been forced to use IVF, but they also felt like they were bonded even closer to this couple that they had already admired. And Anna also actually wrote a really great story about this on HuffPost. Yeah, I just called a bunch of our infertility sources and I asked, you know, what do you think Michelle Obama's story could mean for people trying to get treatment or help for infertility? And they said that, especially for um, African-American women who actually experience higher rates of infertility than other groups of people, but are less likely to see a doctor about it, this could be a tipping point for them to start making appointments to see a doctor. Like, remember a couple of years ago when Angelina Jolie wrote that New York Times op-ed about getting tested for the BRCA gene mm-hmm. and then having a mastectomy so that she could avoid the same death that her mom mm-hmm. had to die from, right? So, like, after she wrote that op-ed, researchers were actually able to measure a bump in the number of women who appropriately asked for a genetic screening for the BRCA gene. Mm -hmm. And they were able to catch more problematic genes and were able to treat more women. So like maybe, maybe in a couple of years, we'll see that there was some kind of like Michelle Obama spike in infertility consultations or something. Right. So it was like there was a Jolie effect and now maybe there will be a Michelle Obama effect in Mm -hmm. this. Now, this is the most important question that I think we all were thinking as we read the memoir, but 
How hard would it be to get Michelle Obama to appear on IVFML? I mean, I don't know. Do you know anyone? No. Do you know Valerie Jarrett? I do not know Valerie Jarrett. Does anyone know Valerie Jarrett? (laughs) (laughs) Because I heard that the Obamas really respect and admire her. I don't think that Michelle Obama even has a public Twitter we can add. Really? Well, maybe she still does. She used to have a Flotus. Oh, oh, yeah. I think that gets passed on. Here's what I'll do. I'll try to sell a show to Netflix where they have their <laughs> development deal. Oh, right. And then, okay, that's that's a long shot. It's a long shot for a couple of reasons there. Yeah, okay. It's. It, I would say that if Michelle were already a fan of IVFML and she was listening to the segment right now, maybe, maybe, maybe we've got a shot with her. <laughs> so, well, what, what questions would you want to ask her? Like, let's say I am Michelle Obama right now. This is my Michelle Obama voice. What are you going to ask me? I think this is something that everyone is thinking, but no one wants to say because it's rude and invasive. But I'm a rude and invasive person, so I'm just going to say it. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, everyone's praising Michelle Obama for coming forward about her story. Like, we're not owed any of those details. We are not entitled to know anything about, like, her and Barack's sex life or how they can see their children. But... What I want to know is when you guys were trying to put the Affordable Care Act together and push it through Congress, was there ever any serious discussion about making infertility coverage part of the essential health benefits plan that all health insurance companies had to offer people? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like in the memoir, she notes that her university job covered her IVF. And that's so awesome for her. But most people don't have that sort of coverage. And most people, therefore, can't get the best infertility treatments, which are IVF. Yeah. I mean, and my guess is that this is just one of those many compromises where you don't put in something that could be controversial. Like we've already discussed that people just don't think people have a right to have a baby. Right. And we, as the public, don't have a right to Michelle Obama's story. And Mm -hmm. so the bottom line is we're grateful that she came out with it she's so brave to do that you know considering the amount of criticism I mean, she's not as brave as us we did it first but... <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying i mean we we blazed a trail for michelle oh, obama yeah. is what I'm... definitely i definitely think she's a fan of IBM. <laughs> <laughs> um there's one other uh piece of fertility news that has been pop culture so Dwayne wade and his wife gabrielle union welcomed their first child together via surrogacy that's so awesome like okay so first of all i know who gabrielle union is obviously she's a beautiful actress she's a star of bring it on and bring it on too but who is Dwayne wade Dribbles it off his foot, gets it back, puts it up at the buzzer. Oh, he puts it in. Wade nails it as time expires here in the third. Dwayne Wade is a former NBA champion basketball player who will be a Hall of Famer when he retires. And he's kind of old and a little broken down right now, but still sometimes does awesome stuff, but not very often. And then sometimes he just doesn't play and he's just gone and I don't know where he is. Okay, so I've always paid special attention to Gabrielle Union because she went to the same high school that I did in Pleasant, California, Foothill High School, Foothill Falcons. (laughs) And I remember as a teen, I would read articles about her in magazines and I would think to myself, how could someone so cool 
come from somewhere so lame. <laughs> Which is a, a little preview of sort of what angsty teen Anna was like, you know, in Pleasanton. Like, preview? Ooh. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. A little flashback. Yeah. That's a preview of our daughter. So Okay. So... <laughs> So back to Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle. Yes. So Gabrielle Union and her husband have a really intense infertility signature. Um, she said in past interviews that she's had so many miscarriages that she's lost count. Like some are either eight or nine. And eventually doctors were able to find out why she kept on losing her pregnancies. She has a sort of endometriosis called adenomyosis. And it tends to cause early miscarriages. But their story does have this happy ending thanks to surrogacy. They've welcomed this new daughter. It's so incredible. I'm really happy for them. Now, that's all the infertility news we wanted to talk about. But after the break, we're going to hear from listeners like you. And we're going to talk about some fan mail we've received. Okay, so we got some fan mail, some very nice emails from people. Okay, so good. Here's one. Um, This one, uh, let me just read this. Infertility is nature's way of saying you have bad seeds and your offspring would bring down humanity by polluting the gene pool. Adoption is the only option for these people. It guarantees a child and not just a chance at one. So many unwanted children and you wish for new ones. We need to think more like the Humane Society. Adopt all lives out, until then, spay and neuter. But you wish for children to remain homeless and unwanted by promoting unneeded breeding. Shame on you. (laughs) Well, thanks for the fan mail, Jason, and don't forget to star us on iTunes. Honestly, this email is so much more polite than the other emails that my colleagues get about their work. And did you respond to this person, Jason, whose last name you won't let me say on the podcast? No, but I, I'll, I'll respond to him right now. Okay, here's my response. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> this is a heartwarming Thanksgiving mini-sode. I want to bring out something a little bit sensitive, a little mm-hmm. bit controversial. Inspired by this message? Yes. I would say that the people who write to us at IVFML, hating the podcast and hating the articles that I'm writing about infertility... There is one commonality with all of these critics, and it's that they're really big into this adopt, don't shop pet ethos. And what I mean by that is that they're always invoking the fact that we, quote unquote, rescue dogs and cats to become our pets because it's better than keeping alive this like breeding industry that creates new puppies of Mm -hmm. like fancy types. I don't Mm -hmm. know. And for some reason, they think that this purchasing pattern is analogous to human infertility. Yeah, it's a really weird comparison I don't really understand. I mean, the reason everyone adopts dogs and cats, you know, isn't because we've decided it's morally wrong to give birth to our own dogs and cats <laughs> through IVF, you know, out of our own bellies. It's it, <laughs> it's because it's very easy to adopt uh, dog or cat and we don't have the same expectations for dogs and cats like I I don't expect a dog that I adopt to have my grandfather's chin or my mother's eyes like it's a completely different relationship mm-hmm. and we have um, some friends who have adopted and the mother actually told me that this comparison between adoption and pet rescue is so common and so hurtful to families who have adopted it's just 
She said that it compares their beautiful little humans who come with trauma and joy to dogs and cats. And I know there are people out there that dogs and cats are equal moral weight to people. Yeah, like vegans. I understand that. Yeah, but I, I don't know. This feels like it comes from something darker. What What is that darkness? Well, I remember you were telling me about this tweet that you saw where someone was basically saying, um, there are so many humans on this planet. Why breed more from stock with cancer? Right. Seriously, the arrogance and selfishness of humans never ceases to amaze me. Okay. And I think that's sort of like that idea of, of viewing like you and me trying to make a family as breeding and stock and evolution and like, you know, uh, people who are furthering bad genes and all this stuff. Like, I don't know. It it says to me that they think of all life in kind of this like barnyard breeding system. Right. Well, the, the thing about evolution that you bring up, like, you know, whether someone has bad genes or good genes, that sort of gets to like a really unpleasant part of reproductive history which is eugenics right like we actually do have a really long history of politicizing who gets to give birth and pass on their genes and who doesn't like who's unworthy of being a parent and who is and to me when that sort of language seeps into the infertility conversation it's hurtful it's dehumanizing and it's it's creepy so thanks again, Jason, for sparking this conversation. We really appreciate feedback like yours. <laughs> Let's change this up with something more positive. Here's another one from Allison in Hong Kong. Okay, dear Simon and Anna, thank you for sharing this painful story so that others would feel less alone. I listened to it on my commute to work in Hong Kong and have to fight the tears welling up as I'm reminded of our own journey. We miscarried three weeks ago post IVF and your episode on miscarriage really resonated with me. It really feels like it's a lonely journey, especially in Asia where we don't talk about infertility and you have everyone in your whole extended family asking why you haven't produced a second child. The good thing is that one can always blame it on the rising housing and education costs here. So Allison, I just want to say thank you so much for writing in. Um, it really means a lot to us if you feel like we've been in any way useful to you in this hard time. Um, it really feels like for us, one of the hardest parts of infertility was not being able to talk about it. And that's why we do this show. And I'm glad if there's just anything helpful about what's going on for us. And I'm sorry that you're in a tough situation. And also I'm Asian. So I really understand what you're saying about how sometimes your family, in addition to being a source of love and support can also be a source of pain and pressure, especially about infertility. It's definitely not discussed enough in Asian countries. Like I remember once, my grandma was actually making fun of another member of the family for not being able to have any children. And, you know, I shut that down really quick, like obviously politely, but I was still very strong, like, Nanai, why did you say that about him? And then she like got sad and then, you know, she almost looked like she was about to cry. And then I felt bad for hurting her feelings and ugh, families are really hard. Rather than digging into that emotional trauma, let's keep going through the pile of emails. <laughs> so this one is from Matt and Matt writes... Thank you for shining a public light onto IVF and with your latest episode on LGBTQ and IVF. My husband and I are lucky to be dads of seven and a half month old twins, Eli and Ian, with the help of a surrogate and IVF. Family, friends, and colleagues have been very supportive, but we have run into pushback and discrimination online from posting. Due to that pushback, we also try to be public about our story. 
And he actually named the group that has criticized Matt for making his family, but we don't want to repeat their name and give them more publicity. I checked them out online, and I can confirm that they suck. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Matt, for writing to us, and thank you for sending the photos of the babies in their first Halloween outfits. We love hearing from listeners. Please keep writing to us at IVFML at HuffPost.com. We want to hear more about your stories and struggles. And hell, even if you hate IVFML, we want to hear and read your emails because we need a good laugh. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and do the thing that we don't do quite often enough and say, if you get a chance, go to the iTunes store and rate and review our podcast positively. It really helps. So I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and we are so thankful that you are listening to us. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're going to catch up with you again next week with a real proper episode. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.